the windup. There's the pitch, and it is. Yes, we see Brandon Bennett's just about ready. He's just about jumping out of his skin to bring you the sports news today about some childhood heroes. I have recently attended mime class, and so I was bringing the theater of the mind at least to the KRVN World Headquarters. But yes, it's a great day in the KRVN newsroom because childhood heroes have been elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Very good. Bob, you saw it. Susan, I'm, I'm sorry that you didn't see that. It, it is theater of the mime, in fact, here. I felt it, though. <laughs> yes, it was a powerful performance. I think it's probably worthy of a Golden Globe. At least a Golden Globe. <laughs> here we are. Many raspberries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Many raspberries, as a matter of fact. Uh, here is uh, the midday program for you here, far and wide across Nebraska, Kansas, and uh, adjacent areas on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Dirk Christensen. Susan's on the line here, and you've been looking at some really interesting stuff that they're doing now, cutting-edge research on piglets and antibiotics. It is. You know, ever since we had to put the VFD in place, the Veterinary Feed Directive, it's caused some concerns as to what producers can put and can't put in into the feed. Well, I got a chance yesterday to speak with Dr. Jay Johnson. He's an animal scientist at the ARS Livestock Behavior Research Unit in West Lafayette, Indiana. And they're doing some things that deals with glutamine and different amino acids that we as humans and pigs as well produce naturally within their systems. So they're doing some research, getting some amazing results. And so they actually have done so well, they've got a patent application in the process for the technology. So... You'll get to hear more about that coming up at 1245. At 1219, Bryce talks more about precision planting. The winter conference took place in Lincoln, and Tanner Gray is testing engineer of the company. Talks about products that have been released at the event and what that's going to mean. And then I will have at 117 the CEO and president of Farm Credit Services as we look into 2018 and beyond. How is that looking, just in a word or two? I would like to say optimistic because I'm a glasses half full kind of person. All right. <laughs> so the key is communication with your lender, and you, you'll do a lot better than if you don't. All right. FCS information coming up on midday. Thanks, Susan. Thank you. Here's uh, Brandon Bennett. Who are these names in your uh, hero past? Well, for one of our valued colleagues, the great Scott Foster, a native San Diego, and oh. he is very pleased that Trevor Hoffman, longtime reliever for the San Diego Padres, has been elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame. And for me, growing up in Minnesota, or at least spending a lot of my summers in Minnesota, very pleased to see former Tiger and twin Jack Morris be elected by the Elders Committee as well. So Husker men and and women both got victories on the basketball court last night. And a former defensive coordinator at the University of Nebraska, Kearney, was recently elected as the National Coordinator of the Year by the Sporting News. So we'll have more about that. There you go. That's a nice honor. A little feather to put in the old loper cap there. Absolutely. All right. And uh, here comes Bob Brogan. He has the business news. Stocks are a little bit broader and higher at midday. Technology and healthcare companies are leading the stocks. Also, the British government and uh, U.S. President Donald Trump are working out the details for him to visit the U.K. this year. That's something that's in the works. New home sales tumble, and also Home Depot is the latest to announce one a one-time bonus for. Uh, their employees. All right, I'm up for it, and let's get you up for midday on the Rural Radio Network. 
Ag Weather Now with Paul Perkins, and it is presented by Holdridge Irrigation. Looks like we are losing a lot of this snow cover, but it will be enough to help some of those places get anywhere on the thermometer today. Well, it should be. Uh, the snow-covered area is going to be, of course, a bit on the chillier side. And you can really see on the temperature map here where we do have the snow cover over southwest Nebraska. Then we have that stretch from about Broken Bow up to Ord on into the northeast part of Nebraska. Temperatures there in many areas in the mid-20s to the low-30s. But a lot of us right now with temperatures in the low and mid-40s. And very enjoyable day across the area. Yep. Will it stay? Well, pretty much. Not okay. going to be a major cold blast over the weekend. Today going to be good, but it will cool down. All right. Brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. Here's Paul Perkins. Yeah, those temperatures today warmer with increasing south winds. Just ahead of a cold front, our temperatures ranging from the 40s and more snow-covered areas to the 50s, the farther south and east you go. And, in fact, we have snow-free areas of northern Kansas, and that's where fire weather conditions will be up near critical levels later today. That cold front drops in late overnight into tomorrow morning and turns our winds around to the northwest. It will be a bit cooler with this front, but still right near seasonal for tomorrow on into Monday. Another warm-up expected Tuesday ahead of our next system. With little snow cover left on Tuesday, that should be our warmest of the next seven days. Some light snow is possible in some areas Wednesday and Wednesday night. Significant precipitation not likely with this system. The pattern will turn cold, though, and that cold pattern should last through at least the first week of February. Temperatures could be about 10 to 20 degrees colder than normal for several days. In our long-term forecast, Nebraska and Kansas temperatures starting out seasonal to warmer than normal that middle part of next week, but that colder air plunging south, keeping the temperatures colder than normal late next week through February 7th. Our precipitation forecast predicts mainly near normal to slightly above normal precipitation in Nebraska and most of Kansas Tuesday through the 7th of February. But the farther south you go in Kansas, so southern areas look to be mostly drier than normal. In the drought monitor that was released today, the blizzard helped dryness concerns in parts of Nebraska. 24% of Nebraska is drought-free. That's compared to 9% last week. The drought-free areas are from Broken Bow into the northeast and also the northeast panhandle. Otherwise, most of Nebraska abnormally dry, moderate drought in the southwest corner and the southwest panhandle. All of Kansas continues to experience dryness concerns. There's abnormal dryness in the north, central, and east. All of the west and the central just south of I-70 right now in moderate drought. There's severe to extreme drought in south, central, and southwest Kansas. Weather factors affecting the markets include continued dry weather in Argentina and harvest-disrupting rain in Brazil. Most of the U.S. will experience mild to dry weather in the next few days. This weekend, rain will develop near a cold front across the south East and lower Midwest, no precipitation expected in the next five days across large sections of the Plains, Southwest, and Upper Midwest. All the Southern Plains down at least level two or severe drought, level three or extreme drought expanded into the Texas Panhandle. No significant precipitation in sight for the Southern Plains and much colder weather is forecast late next week for the wheat areas. Argentina will stay mostly dry with above normal temperatures. The situation bears watching since the next chance of rain on Saturday may lead to disappointment. In central Brazil, persistent rain is disrupting soybean harvest. More rain is in store through the weekend in the south part of Brazil. Those conditions mostly favorable right now as their crops continue to develop. 
Ag weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. And uh, is there anyone talking about what might happen with this system in the middle of next week? Looks to be a minor system at best, maybe some light snow. The big thing with this is going to be some colder air that's going to stick around for a while. Once again, about late next week on into at least the 7th. It's going to be a persistent cold pattern. I'll give you every chance, Paul. <laughs> well, you know, it is February, I guess, it's starting up. It's going to be, yep. I guess we have plenty of winter left to go. And a quick reminder for you that when you want to find out all the great news about this winter weather, you can go. KRVN.com. A senator says the RFS must be fixed. And a wrap-up we get on the National Stock Show from Chabella Guzman. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Republican Senator Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania said earlier this week the U.S. biofuel policy must be fixed. Of course, he's referring to the renewable fuel standard as a primary cause for a Pennsylvania refiner filing Chapter 11 bankruptcy. In a statement, Toomey outlines his conversations regarding the RFS with President Trump and his colleagues, which would include Texas Republican Ted Cruz, that in an attempt to change the policy. In announcing its intentions to file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, Philadelphia Energy Solutions LLC blamed the RFS, saying the company has spent more than $800 million on credits to comply with the law. In response, Renewable Fuels Association President and CEO Bob Deneen told industry publication Platts that the bankruptcy had little to do with the biofuel policy. Deneen said, like other refiners, PES could have made investments in blending more renewable fuels, saying it chose a different course. The Western Sox Show 2018 is in the books, but construction on the new complex is just getting underway. Chabella Guzman has more on how it created some challenges for contestants. The National Western Stock Show has ended after boasting an attendance of more than 700,000 this year. The show is held in the National Western Complex in Denver, which is slated for a $1 billion expansion that's expected to allure residents, tourists, and scientists throughout the year. Valerie Baker of Minotaire tells us about some of the challenges of having the complex under construction during the horse shows. So there's massive construction. So we were supposed to start showing and roping at 7 o'clock in the morning. And we got to the facility, and there was no power at all in the entire complex. So it's really, really dark in those big concrete buildings in the middle of them. And I was actually, uh, they got the lights to come back on, and I was out in the arena warming my um, young horse up, and all the lights went off again. So that was a little exciting. <laughs> uh, emergency lighting doesn't cover an arena very good. But uh, that whole thing's going to be under construction, my understanding, for almost the next 10 years. Of course, those challenges didn't stop Baker as she won the heading overall high point and the steer stopping overall high point. She took three of her paint horses, Capital Business, Retro Pep, and H.H. Diamond Rio to the event. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. An eastern South Dakota farmer faces up to six months in prison and a $10,000 fine for being convicted of disturbing protected wetlands. A federal jury recently convicted 61-year-old Kevin Mast of Volga following a trial in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. U.S. Attorney Ron Parsons says Mast installed drain tile on some of his property despite selling an easement to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service that prohibited draining any wetland areas on the property. Parsons says Mast was warned against the project but went ahead with it in 2013. He will be sentenced April 9th. Canada's dairy industry says it shouldn't bear any additional hardship in NAFTA renegotiations after having been forced to give up so much in the past trade deals. 
If the United States wants increased access to Canada, it should rejoin the Trans-Pacific Partnership that granted a 3.25% quota that was expected to be filled mainly by the U.S., that according to Dairy Farmers of Ontario's CEO, Graham Lloyd. The TPP is a vehicle that should be going to, he said in an interview yesterday. They shouldn't be looking for NAFTA to gain access to the dairy market. Lloyd said given the Americans have more access to Canada, won't make a dent in the massive daily overproduction in three large milk-producing states. But would cause some serious harm, he says, to Canada's dairy farmers. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. An event so large and so popular that they have five different simulcast locations around North America. Good afternoon on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Bryce Duskit reporting. Precision Planting hosted their annual winter conference in Tremont, Illinois, with simulcast locations in Lincoln, Nebraska, and four other locations across North America. I was there at the Lincoln, Nebraska event hosted at Nebraska Innovation Campus, where I caught up with Tanner Gray. He's a testing engineer for precision planting, and we began our conversation talking about the popularity of the simulcast. So we've got about close to 400 growers in today. Um, we had 400 yesterday. Um, so these are guys from, I don't know, two or three different states around the area. Um, we've got four other uh, simulcast locations. Um, so yesterday, I think in total, we had about 2,000 growers in at the five different locations. There's a good reason for people to drive. You've got some new products. I was talking with some folks earlier today that came from Gothenburg, so that's at least three hours away. But I know there's people here that have drilled uh, many more miles than they have, and they're all excited about what precision planting is coming out with. So let's talk about a couple of those new products. So uh, the, the first is our new display. So it's a Gen 3 monitor. Um, there's two different versions. There's a 10-inch monitor and a 16-inch monitor. Um, these include row-by-row um, -row high-definition mapping on the monitor. Um, uh, which is a new thing, um, still compatible with FieldView, which uh, we have been in the past. So, um, uh, another new product um, is the MSET hopper. So this is a uh, multi-genetic high-speed solution. So in the past we've had uh, our VSET Select meter, which is a multi-genetic meter. It's got two meters on one row, um, and we've also had our speed tube, which is our uh, high-speed planting solution. Um, in the past, you've had to choose between the two, um, and now we can uh, marry those together so you can do your multi-genetics uh, high speed on, on the same row. Um, let's see, our another, uh, so this product, we've announced it um, a couple years, hasn't been for sale yet, uh, but this year we are having for sale our Smart Firmer. So this is uh, mapping um, every inch of your furrow. Um, we can do organic matter, moisture, clean furrow, um, so that's you know every inch of your furrow across the field. You can build those maps um, to use for variable rating, um, things like that. I think what excites a lot of folks about coming to this winter conference is the products that they're seeing. They can uh, they're available in the springtime, so uh, we can look at them here in the in the winter time and be excited about actually using those. And that's something that Precision Planning kind of prides themselves on. Yeah, so that's that's a little new for this year to have this many products announced that are available for order. Come, right, I mean, right now. So uh, Tuesday, you can start start ordering these products that are being announced right now, which is really exciting for us. Certainly very exciting. Let's talk about your job. You're a testing engineer. So what does that look like in terms of these products when you're doing the kind of the research and development side of this? My job is to break things, which <laughs> sounds really fun until you have to fix them. So, yeah, I, I spend a lot of time in the field um, with growers or on our own test sites. Um, 
finding the flaws in these products before they go to the field. They were showing in, in the last session we were sitting in on uh, a treadmill to uh, put a lot of acres on and the uh, made up acres we'll call them but uh, uh, really it's about breaking these products and, and seeing how you can rebuild them better right? Yep and it's simulating all different kinds of conditions is, is the tough thing so that's why we use products like that that treadmill that was actually a uh, intern's project for an entire summer. To- Reporting in Lincoln, Nebraska from the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, I'm Bryce Duskit. Midday on the Rural Radio Network, time to check sports with Brandon Bennett. Good afternoon, Dirk. Isaac Copeland's game-high 23 points led three Huskers in double figures while Glenn Watson Jr. made a trio of big plays in the final three minutes as Nebraska picked up a crucial 60-54 road win at Rutgers last night. Copeland hit 9 of 15 shots from the field, including three three three-pointers, while adding seven rebounds and two block shots as Nebraska improved to 15-8 on the season and 6-4 and in the Big Ten. Meanwhile, the Nebraska women played their best game of the season by rolling to a 75-51 win over Purdue last night at the Pinnacle Bank Arena. The Huskers improved to 15-6 and overall, reached the halfway point of the Big Ten Conference regular season schedule at a record of 6-2, and and got significant contributions from all 12 players on the roster to register their third consecutive victory. The Big Red also put up an outstanding defensive effort, holding Purdue to just 18 points in the first half, thereby snapping the Boilermakers' three-game winning streak. A former defensive coordinator at the University of Nebraska, Carney Todd Wash, has earned a big honor. A vote by the NFL coaches named Wash, who is currently the defensive coordinator for the Jacksonville Jaguars, as the Sporting News' 2017 Coordinator of the Year. This season, the Jaguars fielded arguably their best defense in franchise history. They finished second in the NFL in points allowed per game, sacks, and takeaways. And, of course, Jacksonville was stopped in the AFC title game by New England. Wash served as the defensive coordinator for the Lopers for the 2000 and 2001 seasons. Third baseman Chipper Jones, first baseman Jim Tomey, outfielder Vlad Guerrero, and closer Trevor Hoffman have been elected to the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Jones and Tomey were elected in their first year of eligibility. Guerrero made it on his second try, and Hoffman was chosen in his third year. They will be enshrined at Cooperstown on July 29th, along with Tiger and Twins pitcher Jack Morris and longtime Tiger shortstop Alan Trammell, who were elected by a committee that considers older players and executives. And the NFL will salute 15 recipients of the Congressional Medal of Honor, the United States' most prestigious military decoration, when they participate in the coin toss before the Super Bowl on February the 4th. World War II veteran Herschel Woodrow Woody Williams, who received the Medal of Honor because of his actions during the Battle of Iwo Jima, will flip the coin, surrounded by a group of other Medal of Honor recipients. That's a look at sports. Stay tuned. More of Midday is just ahead. You're listening to the Rule Radio Network. Mostly clear in Nebraska tonight, lows in the low 30s, except for a little cooler in the west. I'm Dave Schroeder. Senator Laura Epke of Crete is looking to get rid of Nebraska's tax on illegal drugs, arguing that it violates constitutional rights and that virtually no one pays it. Tax laws should exist, I think you could argue, um, to raise revenue deemed necessary for the operation of related public programs, not as a way to pile on to criminal defendants. Her proposal before the legislature's revenue committee would repeal a law that requires anyone with illegal drugs to buy a drug tax stamp from the Nebraska Department of Revenue. Arguably, the law violates the spirit of the constitutional right against self-incrimination. 
Uh, the law violates the spirit of the constitutional right against double jeopardy. The law arguably constitutes entrapment by estoppel. The state is charging a person with a crime for a thing they were seemingly given permission to do. The law exacerbates prison overcrowding, resulting in incarceration of nonviolent offenders or increasing the penalty for those who have been found guilty of um, trafficking in drugs. Epke says the state collected more than $13,000 from tax stamp sales between October 1991 and October 2017. A group representing defense attorneys supports the bill while prosecutors and law enforcement officials oppose it. Sam Brownback plans to step down as Kansas governor at 3 p.m. this Wednesday following his confirmation by the U.S. Senate to an ambassador's post. Brownback sent a letter of resignation today to the Kansas Secretary of State detailing his plan to step down next week. Fellow Republican Lieutenant Governor Jeff Collier will be elevated to governor. Brownback's office has yet to release the details of Collier's swearing-in ceremony. The Senate voted 50 to 49 along party lines to confirm Brownback's appointment by President Donald Trump as U.S. Ambassador-at-Large for International Religious Freedom. Vice President Mike Pence broke a tie to ensure Brownback's confirmation. Brownback is a former U.S. Senator who was elected governor in 2010 and re-elected in 2014, both times with Collier on his ticket. Kansas is moving forward with a plan to have the nation's largest private prison operator build a new state prison. Top Kansas legislators gave their approval Wednesday to the project during a meeting with Republican Governor Sam Brownback. Put our app on your phone and listen to podcasts and on-demand audio on your schedule. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. There may be an alternative antibiotic that'll give piglets a boost. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. The Agricultural Research Service scientists have found that L-glutamine fed to piglets produces some positive growth and health effects. Dr. Jay Johnson is an animal scientist at the ARS Livestock Behavior Research Unit in West Lafayette, Indiana. We haven't uh, specifically looked at the immune function yet, uh, but we have looked at a lot of the performance parameters, um, as well as intestinal health and um, welfare of the animals itself. And so, um, as most people know, um, there was a 2017 uh, BFD that was out, uh, basically banning the use of antibiotics for promoting growth. And so there's been a lot of research out there looking for um, different types of natural alternatives that we can use. And so um, in the past few years, there's been some research looking at um, using L-glutamine, um, which is a amino acid that's naturally produced in the body, um, and using the synthetic form of that um, as a way to promote growth in pigs. Um, but a lot of that research had used levels of glutamine that just weren't economically sustainable for producers. And so uh, we kind of thought that, well, you know, if, you could feed it to them at higher levels when they're healthy and get some growth. Uh, maybe we could use it, you know, in order to promote intestinal health in that animal um, after some of these um, stressors that they go through, like weaning and transport, um, as a sort of an alternative to an antibiotic. So as opposed to getting rid of pathogens, um, we hypothesized that we could improve the gut health of the animal and improve their defense mechanisms against those pathogens um, that they might be exposed to. Now, you guys you guys just, you kind of put them through the same process that they would have been had they been with a producer on an operation. I understand that you, you weaned and then you even transported the piglets before you sure. started feeding them. 
Yeah, and so that's that's kind of what we wanted to do. We wanted to make sure that we were as close to what might happen to them. Um, you know, our research is what would happen with a producer. And so in this particular study, um, we didn't really know if it would work. And so basically we did a very controlled study. Um, we actually um, we weaned them off the sow and did a um, controlled transport, so a simulated transport. We actually built uh, large uh, fake trailers and then put the pigs in those trailers for uh, about a 12-hour period, and then we monitored them during that time. Um, and then after that you know, simulated transport, we took them off, housed them, and then gave them their treatment diets. And so we wanted to be as close to what would actually happen to the pigs as possible in this study. Have you been pleased? with what you've seen so far within the research? Uh, we have. Um, so we were actually, we didn't think that we'd get as good as results as we did in this study. Um, of course, this was, again, under controlled conditions, and we have been following up this study with um, more producer-relevant uh, conditions, so actually transporting pigs on highways, bringing them back to the barn, and giving them the treatments, and uh, the results have been very promising with that additional research. You talked about the economic side of it for the producer. Have you kind of whittled it down a little bit in the dose to know what can be given to still make it economically viable for them? Yeah, and so that was actually one of the um, uh, one of the number one goals of this project was to find out um, very, basically the minimum dose we could give to these pigs um, to get the, to get um, as good of results as an antibiotic as I think we use CTC Denegard in the study. And so we ended up using um, a low enough dose that it was, at the time of the project, it was about a 20% reduction in cost per ton to feed the glutamine versus the CTC Denegard treatment, at least um, when we ran the study. I haven't looked at the numbers recently, but it it does cost a bit less just off the bat. And from a consumer perspective, I, I love the fact that you guys are using a product that we as consumers might be taking as well. Sure, sure. Yeah, um... You can go to, I think, any Walmart and look in the shelf, and you can buy you know, synthetic glutamine like we're feeding. Um, again, the, one of the drawbacks is that currently, surprisingly, uh, we found out that uh, synthetic glutamine isn't actually AFCO approved to feed the livestock at this point in time. And so it's, it might take some legislative action to get it on the approval list. Um, again, it's made naturally in the body of the pig, and so it might just take a little bit more push to get that approved so that we can start feeding it to animals in a more commercial environment rather than just in research. Now, you guys have filed as well a patent application for this technology? Uh, we have, yes. Any ideas to, to where you guys are in the process for that? Um, so currently, it, um, I think it was, apply, uh, it was um, sent in about a month ago, and so we're just waiting to hear back as of now. So I kind of leave that, we kind of leave that up to the Harris lawyers to deal with. Well, it's great news, Dr. Johnson, to be able to have this research that you guys are doing, a big benefit down the road for the pork producers. Where do you take your research from here? Well, I think now that we kind of have a basic idea that it's working as far as the production side of things, uh, we really need to have a better idea of what's happening physiologically in that animal, uh, molecularly, to see what's the mechanism of action. And so um, a lot of our ongoing studies are focusing on that area so we know exactly what the mechanism of action is for how this um, glutamine is promoting the uh, benefits that we're seeing. My conversation with Dr. Jay Johnson, an animal scientist at the IRS Livestock Behavior Research Unit in West Lafayette, Indiana. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. 
We're joined with Joe Teal now of Great Plains Commodities for a look at the closing livestock futures. And Joe, it was one that was somewhat volatile. Very volatile. Uh, very uh, interesting finish. Uh, after uh, starting out higher in the cattle, uh, kind of meandering around at higher levels all day long, uh, uh, we just seemed to run out of gas. And uh, uh, I think for a couple of reasons, the bids out there sound like they're 122, which is uh, not what the trade was expecting. We have a cattle on feed report tomorrow, and uh, uh, I think uh, what happened was some of the longs decided, hey, maybe i just try and take some profits here uh, and step aside for a minute. And uh, we got into some stops and then some uh, pretty good uh, selling after that. And uh, we even hit limit down in the February, con- the nearby February contract. Uh, didn't close there, but then we got triple digit losses as much as 295 lower, uh, but triple digit losses right straight across the rest of the board. The feeders also participating in that once the uh, uh, January uh, went off the board at, uh, at uh, 12 o'clock, the uh, uh, selling uh, began to happen over there also. And uh, uh, we had been bouncing around in the feeders because of the corn higher, then lower, then uh, higher, lower, higher, lower. And then the, uh, the feeders began to follow the uh, live cattle uh, lower. So sharply lower there, triple-digit losses. The hogs never really saw a lot of uh, green on the uh, trade uh, all day long, uh, finishing lower of some triple-digit losses, passing the steady week, and that uh, didn't provide any uh, incentive for buyers. That's Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities, with the livestock ending. Working with the next generation, but keeping their feet firmly planted in the soil. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. I had the opportunity to catch up with Mark Jensen. He's the new president and CEO of Farm Credit Services of America. I asked him to start out talking about the staff within Farm Credit Services and what agriculture means to them. You know, a majority of the people that are working with our our customers day to day, either one, grew up on a farm, or two, have had some connection to agriculture. And even the ones that don't got connected with agriculture, they've got a passion for it. So, you know, it's that shared passion that creates that type of partnership that you know, really makes it all work. What about for those younger producers, the ones that are maybe taking over mom, dad, grandparents' operation, or even wanting just to get started in ag? What are some things that Farm Credit could do to help them in that transition? Yeah, so we have specific young and producer programs that are set up to provide more favorable interest rates. We offer more educational services. So, you know, it's really important, particularly in this environment, that if you're going to get started in agriculture, that you understand your underlying financial position, what risks are there. And, you know, with those type of customers, we particularly focus in on, you know, understanding your cash flow, your financial position, building a business plan so you're thinking out two or three years on what could occur. So, in addition to just those products, we've got also a product called the Development Fund, which is set up to provide short-term kind of liquidity infusion into operations, because oftentimes that's, that's missing. It provides that kind of injection of liquidity that allows an operation to get established and get started, and then you know, sit there over time on a, you know, a non-payment of principal basis, just the interest to you know, allow a few years for that operation to get started. And then you know, the intent is that you know, by that time you're in a position to start to repay some of that, that principal. So um, you know, we focus a lot on our young and beginning portfolio or customers. That's the future of agriculture. 
And you guys go beyond, I mean, some lending facilities say they're there for even the younger ones. But Farm Credit really is in helping those junior high and high school kids really get the start that they need and a sound financial start. Yeah, you know, it, it, it starts young these days. And, you know, the opportunities in agriculture and the interest starts at a really young age. So, yeah, we our programs are really, you know, built to reach all ages. And, you know, our... You know, our ultimate objective is to finance, you know, this generation's next generation's next generation. And, you know, when you've been here a hundred years and you plan to be here the next hundred, that, you know, position you with, you know, a purpose and mission to do that. What is the feeling for you guys as you look at 2018 and, and, and the thoughts of the ag industry right now? Yeah, um, opportunity, but some real risks out there. Um, the opportunity is... You know, we're starting to see cost of production come down. Um, you know, more operations are getting themselves more in a position to cash flow in this three to four dollar corn environment that we're in. Um, you're starting to see the real estate market, at least the declines that we're seeing, start to level off, and some interest in buying is kind of increasing again. So I think people are starting to transition to thinking a little bit uh, longer term. That isn't to say, though, that there aren't still some risks out there that, you know, still we've got, you know, heavy inventories of crop around the world that's um, keeping prices depressed. We don't think that's going to change for some time. And, you know, all the prices are heavily dependent upon trade right now. And, you know, any, you know, changes or disruption we would see to that we see as a key risk. So, you know, those are inherent and common in agriculture, but in 2018 we particularly see those as some of the big issues. We love financing agriculture and we're here for the long haul and, you know, while it, industry always has its challenges, we're always thinking long term. And Mark Jensen, President and CEO of the Farm Credit Services of America. I'm Susan Littlefield, Liberal Radio Network. Welcome back to the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Join now with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grange. John, a different close today than what we've seen yesterday. Yeah, overall, really a different type of price action than we've really seen over the last six weeks to really four months. Uh, markets got some volatility this morning after a nice close yesterday and, um, you know, put in what I, I think you could say is a little bit of a sign of a top here, looking at markets like soybean meal and oats. Uh, soy meal especially really closing off its highs, which is kind of an ominous sign for soybeans. Uh, it would be interesting to see how we close the week tomorrow. Uh, a lot of optimism out there with the dollar story going on, but uh, that was all walked back this morning by President Trump and uh, Secretary of the Treasury as they, they kind of said, hey, you know, pump the brakes on. We're not so in favor of a weak dollar. But I think the cat's a little bit out of the bag here. And, um, you know, the break of, of 88 on the index and the Real really doing uh, some damage to the upside is going to be bullish for the grains longer term. As we take a look here to more markets, the soybean mill, once that started to turn towards the red, soybeans followed right with it. Was there a block trade or anything that occurred there today? That's a tough call. You know, we got a, we got a forecast change midday, so central Brazil is looking like they're going to get some good rains the next couple of weeks. I think like the 8 to 14-day forecast, so two weeks out. And then, you know, you can throw those forecasts at a wall sometimes. They're not always right. Uh, and then southern southern Brazil and Argentina looking like they're going to get some showers as well. So the story that had kind of driven the price is a little higher here, at least on the fundamental side, uh, was, I guess, say, you know, thought to be of a race. But really the, the play, I think, right now that everybody's watching is the dollar. And, and you look at markets like, um, you know, I think any of it, you name it, gold looking like it's breaking out. You know, we had, we had some nice up moves this morning in some of those markets, but they've all reversed now. So it's a little bit interesting to see how this stuff will trade longer term, um, you know, given that the week closed today really is an ominous sign. Cattle as well. So, I mean, the broader base market, you know, 
were much weaker than the grains. Grains actually had a decent day looking at wheat, uh, trading up near their, their two, two month highs. Corn at a two month high. Soybean meal back at its highs from December. Um, so I, I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see. I'd imagine you're going to see a lot of sell recommendations out there given that beans are back above 10 bucks. And you talked about corn there. Is there any technical points there that it could continue up, or is it looking like it's maybe on the top side? Uh, well, I mean, selling rallies has been something that was really worked. And, you know, 355 to 360 on the front month contract has been a real hurdle. The, the big wick that we see in the charts, if you look at a bar chart and you look at the highs being made there, that is not a good sign technically. But you can look at markets like uh, copper earlier in the week where it really got slammed down and completely reversed. So, uh, you know, for today, we'll, we'll call it a bearish signal. Contact Daniel Zag Marketing at danielzagmarketing.com. Again, that John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, joining us today on the Rural Radio Network.